Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. So this is week three of our season of generosity, and uh, we've been talking for a little while now around this four idea. We do this every single year, and the thing that inspires us to be for people and to be for people through our generosity with our time, with our money, with our energy and our effort, with, with all the different ways, with our gifts and our skills, the reason we are for people is because we as followers of Jesus believe something very deeply. What we believe is that everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not, that everybody matters to God. And it doesn't matter if it's a person that cares about God and, you know, God matters to them or doesn't matter to them. Even the people who don't want anything to do with God, even the people who don't pay any attention to God, even the people who don't believe there is a God, we believe that all of those people, that every single one of them, including you and me, we matter to God, whether God matters to them or not. And the reason we believe that's because Jesus taught that. And there are big implications for those of us who follow Jesus if this is true, and we believe it is. And the implication, one of the biggest ones is, if everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not, then everyone's got to matter to us as well. And it doesn't matter if they believe like us or not. It doesn't matter if they care about God or not. It doesn't matter if they live the way we live and, uh, you know, believe the way we believe and have the, the moral values that we have. None of that matters. They should matter to us because they matter to God. And so what we do this time of year is we come around and collectively as a church and very publicly, honestly, we try our best to practice loving people well, and to practice showing people that they matter to God and that they matter to us. And the reason we feel like we have to practice loving well is because we're not great at loving well. Now, you may think you're great at loving well, but you're not really as good as you think you are, okay? I'm not either. Because we don't have a problem loving people who are easy to love, but all of us struggle with loving people who are difficult to love. All of us struggle with loving people who are unlovable and loving people who are unloving. Now that's an entirely different deal and we don't feel like we should have to love them that well, but that's just not the case because they matter to God just as much as all the people who are loving and lovable. And so we feel like, okay, we need to come together and practice doing the hard thing that none of us want to do and none of us feel comfortable doing. We need to practice the hard thing of loving the people who are unloving and unlovable. And we got to figure out how to do that well. Now, when I mention those kinds of people, you have some names and faces that come to mind, don't you? So do I. We all can think of some people that go, we go, there's a person that, quite honestly, they're just really hard to love, or they're not very loving to anyone else. And I'm not saying that to be critical, because the reality is, I always think about this when I talk about it. I think, you know what? I bet there's somebody out there, there's probably more than one somebody's out there, who when somebody says, hey, who are the people who are unloving and unlovable in your life? There are probably some people who think about me. It's hard to believe, but I bet there are. And I bet there are some people who think about you as well, okay? So we're not being critical. We don't want to be that way, and we got to get better ourselves. But all of us have some people we think about, and we think, Phew, they're just hard to love. They're hard to love. But we have a responsibility to love. And so every year around this time of year, we come together as a church and say, let's practice getting better at it. Let's practice showing everybody, including those people, that we are for them. And the thing that has inspired how we practice is something the Apostle Paul told a young friend of his named Timothy. And I talked about this two weeks ago. I'll just remind you of a little of what he said. 
Paul said to Timothy, command them, and he's, the them is those of us who follow Jesus, okay? So if you don't follow Jesus or you're not sure what you believe about God or you're not really into the faith thing, great Sunday for you to be here because all of this is optional for you. It will work for you, but it's optional, okay? So that's good news for you. But for those of us who are Christians, Paul said, Timothy, you should command them. In other words, they, they don't have an option in this, which sounds a little harsh, but Paul will doesn't believe you have an option or I have an option in doing this and we'll see why he believed that in just a minute but he said Timothy you should command those followers of Jesus to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share now last week we talked about the be generous and willing to share part and what that looks like and how we practice that today I want to spend just a few minutes talking about doing good and the be rich in good deeds part which is a little bit difficult to talk to you about and I'll tell you why Because all of us think we're good at doing good. All of us think we're pretty rich in good deeds. If somebody came to you and said, do you feel like you do good things for people? You'd say, absolutely. So when I, you know, get up here and read this and say, we need to practice being better at the do good and be rich in good deeds part, we all go, I think I'm all right. I don't need to practice that. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. The reason we have to practice this is because it's very different to do good like normal people do good and to do good the way Jesus taught us, and then showed us to do good. Those are two very different kinds of do good. One is very natural, and anybody can do it. One is supernatural, and very few people can. One seems really ordinary and really common, and one is extraordinary. And so if you're sitting there like me, and you're thinking, I think I'm pretty good at doing good. I don't need any help with that. Then it just means we're not really clear. We don't really understand what Jesus meant when he said, do good. For example, one day he's teaching A large group, several hundred, maybe a few thousand people are there. These are people who all are interested in following Jesus, okay? So he's giving them his pitch of what it will be like and what's expected of them if they follow him. And I want to read you just a little bit of what he said. Can you imagine making this your pitch? Hey, you're interested in following me? Okay, well, here's what you should do. Here's what Jesus told them. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He was talking to a group of Jewish people, and they all nod their head and said, well, absolutely, because this is one of those sayings, and this was one of those phrases that just floated around their country. It was a common saying. Everybody would say, well, you know, you know, you love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. This is what parents taught their kids. This is what you were taught when you went to the temple or to the synagogue. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Everybody knew this. And part of the reason everybody knew this is because in their Jewish scriptures, God had actually given them the command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so they were all well aware of this. But here's what the Jewish people did. They did what all of us have a tendency to do. They looked at that command and said, okay, well, we just need to find a few loopholes. We need to define exactly what this means. And they found their loophole around the word neighbor. So they decided, you know what, when God told us to love our neighbor as ourselves, what he meant by neighbor neighbor was he meant the little circle of people who are like us. So they defined neighbor as a fellow Jewish person. We should love our fellow Jewish people as ourselves. And then as time went on, probably the religious leaders, but there in the country at some point, there were people who added to this saying. They altered it a little bit. They said, okay, well, God said love your neighbors, so we're going to love our little circle of Jewish neighbors, but we don't have to love the people who are outside of our circle. And then the people who are actually against us, the people who are not for us, the people who are our enemies, well, oh my goodness, God would never expect us to love them, right? No, that doesn't make any sense. So they, they added to this saying, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. And this is how they justified all of their actions and all their behaviors. 
Well, it's okay, because you're supposed to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, yeah, but the way you treated that person who was outside of your circle, I know, but it's fine, because you love your neighbor, and you hate your enemy. That's just how you survive. That's how you live. That's, that's just a responsible way to relate to people. You love your neighbor, and you hate your enemy. This was so common to them. And so Jesus looks at them all. Imagine this. This is his pitch. You want to follow me? Okay, well, here's what I mean by that. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They're all going, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus goes, okay, no, no, no. That's not what I mean when I say you're going to do good if you follow me. It's different. So he looks at them and he says, but I tell you, which is so remarkable to me, because here were a group of people who had been told by people in positions of authority, it's okay, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus shows up and goes, no, 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 you don't realize it yet, but I've got way more authority than those people. I have more authority than your parents. I have more authority than the religious leaders in your country. You know, that chief priest, that high priest you have, I've got more authority than him. It doesn't matter what they say. But I tell you was Jesus' way of saying, you've been told wrong. So you've lived your whole life under the assumption you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm telling you, that's absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. And Jesus is about to debunk that myth. He is about to blow up that assumption. And in the process, he is about to turn how we all think about doing good and loving others on its head. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You want to know what, what you would need to do to follow me, what that looks like. Well, here's what that looks like. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, can I just say what we all want to say, but, you know, especially if you grew up in church, you don't feel like you can be honest enough to say it. But I will say it for all of us. Who does that? Why would you even want to do that? I mean, let's make this personal. You think about the people in your life who would fall outside of your circle of those are my people, okay, those are my neighbors. Who are the people who fall outside of that circle? Who are the people who are out there that fall into the circle of enemy? say, well, that's too harsh. I, I wouldn't call anybody an enemy. Okay, think about the people outside of your circle who have hurt you. We've all got people outside of our circle who have hurt us, right? There's a group of people. Think about the people who cheated you. Think about the people who cheated on you. Think about the people who have accused you of things you know you didn't do, but they accused you anyway. Think about the people who got angry with you, and they should not have gotten angry with you, but they did. And they have not let it go. Think about the people who have cost you something in your life. It was that boss who did you wrong. It was that friend you had that you felt like betrayed you or, you or hurt you in some way, and they never came back and addressed it. Matter of fact, you tried to talk to them. They didn't even own it. They didn't care. They never apologized. They never, it never seemed to register with them. It was a problem. Think about that ex. They hurt you in the past. But it continues to be a problem now, and they continue to create pain and hurt and turmoil and anguish in your life. And you got kids, and you're trying to navigate the kids back and forth, and they never cooperate. They're always creating pain and difficulty for you. Think about the coworker, whoever that is for you, okay? We've, we've all got a group of people we can think of. They, they hurt us, and they, they do not seem to care that they have hurt us. Matter of fact, in some cases, you would go, they would hurt me again if they could hurt me again. Now, you know what you want to do every time you interact with that person, think about that person, their name comes up. You know what you want to do. You want to be angry back to them. You want to return pain for pain and hurt for hurt and anguish for anguish. They're difficult to you. You want to be difficult back to them. 
You want to gripe? You want to gossip about them? Jesus says, okay, no, no, no. Those are all natural responses. That's an ordinary way to respond to those people. But if you're going to follow me, I'm calling you to do something extraordinary. I'm calling you to do good, but not do good like normal people do good. I'm calling you to do good to those who cannot, and in some cases will not ever do good to you. So I want you to love those people. I want you to love the people who will not love you back. And do good to people who will not do good to you back. I want you to value the people who do not value you. And, he says, I want you to pray for them. Now, I want to be honest with you. This is what I thought when I read this. And I'm sure I'm worse than you, okay? But my first thought when I read this was, well, that's ridiculous. I can't even remember to pray for my friends. How am I going to remember to pray for my enemies? Jesus is going, no, no, no. This is what you should do. I don't want you just to say, okay, well, I love them, I love them, and try to forgive them. No, actually, those people who are hurting you, I want you to actually pray for them. To which we all think, well, there are some things I'll pray for them, all right? But that's not where he's going, okay? I want, he's going, I want you to pray that good things happen to them. I want you to pray that they'll experience grace, even though it's actually the last thing you want them to experience. That's what it means to love your enemies. That's what it means to pray for the people who hurt you. Because in the process of praying for them, will it change them? Maybe, maybe. But Jesus knows in the process of praying for them, it will definitely change you, and it will definitely change me. To which we all go, well, why in the world would you set a bar so high, Jesus? He says, well, I'll tell you. It's so that. You see what he says here? It's so that. You may be children. Of your Father in heaven. Now that, he is not mean by this, you've got to do this in order to have a relationship with me. He's not saying that. Another way to read this would be, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for the people who persecute and hurt you. So that you may be seen in your world as children of your Father in heaven. This is Jesus' way of saying, okay, if you're following me and you want to be more like me, your leader. You want to be more like God, your heavenly Father. Here's what you do. You treat those people the way your heavenly father treats them. So that, like father, like child. So that when people see you loving your enemies and praying for those who hurt you, they go, oh, that's not ordinary. That's extraordinary. That, that's not natural. Nobody does that. That is supernatural. There, there's nobody who does that except people who are kids of our Heavenly Father. You can tell. You can tell who they follow. You can tell who they love. You can tell who their God is by the way they love their enemies and pray for the people who hurt them. Now, we all read that and think, yeah, but, but they don't deserve it. Are you kidding me? But what about being fair? But what about justice being served? But what about, but what about, and Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know you got all these, all these questions, but I've got some questions for you. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you read the accounts of Jesus' life, whenever he begins to ask questions, you know it's not good for somebody on the other end. In other words, he's about to make his point, and you're going to go, okay, we can't argue with that. He was so brilliant in the way he asked questions and helped people figure things out. So he's about to ask us some questions because we've all got resistance to this. Here's what he says. He says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You think it's not fair. You think it's not just. You don't think they deserve. Well, wait a minute. 
Your heavenly Father does good things for people who don't do good for him or to him. Your heavenly Father loves and shows grace to people who don't follow him. Do you think your standard is any higher than God's? I don't think so. He says, okay, well, let me ask you this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I don't know. I guess not much of a reward. They'll love me back and do good to me back. Jesus says, yeah, of course. Well, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, in that Jewish culture, this meant something to them because they considered tax collectors to be the worst, most evil people in their society. And Jesus is playing to that. He's saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You've set a standard for what it looks like for you to love somebody by saying, I will love my neighbor. I will, in other words, I will love the people who love me back. But he's going, people who, who you consider to be the worst of the worst, they do that. I mean, that's nothing extraordinary. That's common. Anybody will love people who love them back. He goes on. He says, and if you greet only your own people, we all have our own people, right? It's our little circle. Whoever's in our little circle of those are the people I should love because they love me. Those are the people I care about, and they care about me. We've all got our own little circle. Jesus says, no, no, your circle needs to get a lot wider because if you greet, in other words, if you're only friendly to your own people, well, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? In other words, Jesus says, listen, even people who don't believe in God, who don't follow God, they treat the people in their circle that way. That doesn't set you apart. That's nothing extraordinary. And then he makes this statement. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have heard this verse or this statement defined a lot of different ways. But think about it in the context of what Jesus is actually teaching here. What Jesus is saying is, you want to be perfect just like your heavenly Father? I'll tell you how. And by perfect, he does not mean You should be sinless, you should never make mistakes, you should always read your Bible and pray every day, and you need to show up at church every Sunday and, you know, click these things off and check these boxes and you're perfect. No, no, no. That's how it was defined for some of us. If I do enough of these religious activities, then I must be good with God. Jesus says, nope, that's not it. That's not what it means to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You want to be perfect? Here's how you're perfect. You treat the people God loves the way God loves them. You value people the way God values them. You care for people the way God cares for them. You love people who don't love you like God loves people who don't love him. You do good to people who will never do good to you the same way God does good to people who would never do good to him. That's what it means to be godly. If you grew up in church, you heard this term a lot, didn't you? Godly. And sometimes they would say, well, that's such a godly man or that's such a godly woman. I grew up as a preacher's kid, okay, so I heard this a lot. And I'm going to be honest with you. 90% of the time I heard that, I had one of two thoughts. Either, no, they're not godly, they're boring. Have you watched them? That's why you think that's godly, and I'd just be like, I don't want anything to do with that, that's boring. Or the other thing, being the preacher's kid, I knew what was going on behind the scenes, and I'd be like, you think they're godly because they're doing these religious things. They're the meanest snake in the grass you've ever met, you know? It can't be. Jesus goes, no, no, no. Godly's not defined by how religious you are godly or being like God. Jesus says, this is how it's defined. You are godly, you are like God when you love people like God loves people. Not just like ordinary people love people, because any of us can do that. When you love your enemies, when you pray for those who hurt you, when you do good to those who would never, ever, ever do good to you. Or if I could say it this way, 
We love God by caring for people God loves. That those of us who follow Jesus, we are convinced that our love for God is best demonstrated and authenticated by caring for people the way God does, by serving people the way God does, by loving and valuing people the way God does. So, individually, you know what that means for us? It means that group of people who are outside your circle and my circle, the people who have hurt us or they would hurt us if they could, the people who've created pain and difficulty for us over and over and over again, the people that when their name's mentioned, our blood boils a little bit, the people that when we see them, we just get a little bit of anger inside and we want to avoid them at all costs. Individually, what that means is we, at least those of us who follow Jesus, if we're going to follow him the way he's invited us to follow him, we have to learn to love our enemies, to love those people outside of our circle, and to do good to them, even though they may never, ever, ever do good for us. So, how do you do that? Because you got names and faces coming to mind just like I do. How do you do that? I'll tell you how to get started. Jesus said you start by praying for them. Praying for God to do good in their life. Praying for them to experience grace and good and change. Because in the process of praying for them, it might change them, but it will definitely change you. Part of praying for them means you do this. You pray, God, help me to see them the way you see them. If you want to learn to love the people who are unlovable and unloving in your life, you have to ask God to help you to see them the way he sees them. And you know what will happen if you will pray that enough? You'll begin to realize, wait a minute. I, I'm not condoning their behavior. I'm not removing boundaries. This doesn't mean you don't have healthy boundaries. All of that's important and all of that's true. It doesn't mean you just let them hurt you over and over. You keep your boundaries. But in the process of praying for them with your boundaries, you know what you realize? For them to be that hurtful, they must really be hurting. For them to create that much pain, they must be in a lot of pain themselves. Wonder what's happened in them that would lead them to treat people that way. You begin to empathize. You begin to see life from their point of view. You don't condone it. You don't accept it. You don't let it continue. But when you pray and say, God, help me to see them the way you see them, you begin to see that's somebody who's loved by their Heavenly Father in spite of all of the pain they're creating. And that's somebody who I can love too because I can look beyond the pain and realize behind all of that is someone who's hurting deeply themselves. And then you pray and say, God, I need you to help me love them like you. Because you know, if you've ever tried this, you know you can't do this on your own. This is not ordinary. This is extraordinary. This is not natural. It is impossible. It requires the supernatural help of God to consistently love someone who doesn't love you back. To do good to someone who will not and would not ever do good for you, even if they got a chance. That requires the strength and the power of God. So you go, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. you got to help me. And you know why I'm so confident that your Heavenly Father can help you do that? Because your Heavenly Father is the only one who does and has done that perfectly. 
when he showed up on this earth and took on human flesh and blood, and we called him Jesus. Jesus spent 33 years of his life doing good for people who would never be able to do good for him and loving people in some cases who did not love him back. And then ultimately, he gave his life on a Roman cross. Now think about this. He gave his life on a Roman cross, died and paid the penalty for all of our sins, including the sins of the people who had put him on that cross, including the sins of the people that he knew. You know what? I'm doing this for them to offer them forgiveness. I'm doing this for them to offer them a chance to have a relationship with their heavenly father. And he did it knowing some of them, they're going to reject it their entire lives. Some of them, they're never going to accept this forgiveness. Some of them, they're never going to follow me or love me. But I'm going to make it possible anyway. He demonstrated for us exactly what it looks like to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So if there's anyone who can help us do this, if there's anyone who has the power and strength, it is him. And that's where you lean to be able to do it. You pray for them. You pray that you can see them the way God sees them. And then you say, God, I need your help to love them like you love them. Individually. That's your challenge and that's my challenge. Today and tomorrow and the rest of the week and the week after and the week after. Because this is something we're always going to have to deal with. We'll always have an opportunity, won't we, to love somebody outside of our circle that's hard to love. And Jesus is going, you just need to expand your circle. You love everybody the way I've loved you. Now, collectively, we need to practice this as well. So I wanted to give us, before we wrap up, I just want to give us an easy way to practice this collectively, okay, as a church. Because at this time of year, I think it's a great opportunity for us to step in and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good for someone who can't do good for me because they're not in a position to do good for me. And by practicing that, it helps us to get a little bit better at being rich in good deeds. So one of the things we've done today, as I mentioned earlier, and you saw when you came in, we've invited some of the best and finest nonprofits in our entire community to be here today. These are people who serve our community, serve the under-resourced, the underprivileged, those who are struggling in our community in some extraordinary, extraordinary ways. And I want to make you aware of them and then Part of our challenge today is I want to ask you to give an hour of your time between now and the end of the year to serve alongside one of these nonprofits because it will give you a chance to serve and do good for someone who you know doesn't have the ability to do good back for you. And it'll actually do more for you than he'll probably do for them. But I want to challenge you to give an hour of your time between now and the end of the year to do that. You and your family get together and serve, you and a group of friends, you and your small group, you and your, you know, some of the people you serve with here at church. You just pull some people together if you want and show up. So after the service, I'm going to dismiss you early here in just a minute. And what I want to invite you to do is go up and to interact with these nonprofits. And you can figure out which one you're passionate about and which one you would love to help. They all have serving opportunities ready to go for you, okay? If you ask they will be able to show you how you can make a difference for them. All you have to do is ask. But before we do that, let me tell you who's up there, all right? Some of the organizations there. CASA is there. A lot of you are familiar with CASA. Many of you in our church volunteer at CASA. CASA is an extraordinary organization that steps in. They're volunteers and their staff, and they advocate for children at risk, children who've been pulled out of homes because it's not a safe, healthy situation for the child. And they advocate for them in and through the legal system 
But one of the things I love about CASA is they advocate and work so hard to, to work with the family as a whole and create a healthy family situation again where that kid and their parents or guardians can be reunited. Some of you, you're so passionate about helping children at risk, you need to go talk to CASA right afterwards. They do extraordinary work, and they've got a way you can help. Dark Horse Lodge is here. You may not be familiar with Dark Horse Lodge. I love what they do. Dark Horse has created a place for our military veterans to come and experience rest, relaxation, and recharge. It is an extraordinary thing they do for our veterans. Some of you are so passionate about serving veterans. You may not know about Dark Horse. You need to go talk to them. They've got ways you can help out. Gentry House is here. You may be familiar with Gentry House. They do incredible work in our community to help families and individuals who are in a transitional season where they don't have a permanent home of their own. So these people, you know, they got sick and they weren't able to work and then they couldn't afford the rent or the payment on their house. They uh, had some other uh, extenuating circumstance happen. They lost a job, whatever, and they're in this in-between stage. So Gentry steps in and goes, okay, we want to provide some transitional housing so you're not homeless as a family. And then we're also going to provide you with some life skills and help you get back on your feet so you can be independent again. Some of you, you love that. You need to talk to them. Hope and Murray is here. So Hope and Murray is a local extension of our um, partnership with Eight Days of Hope. If you're not familiar with Eight Days of Hope, it's a national organization. There are a lot of people in our church who travel with them. Whenever a natural disaster happens, volunteers show up with Eight Days of Hope, and they help rebuild and clean up and, and do things for folks who couldn't otherwise get them done. Well, Hope and Murray is a local expression of that. So there are a lot of people involved, many of them in our church, who show up and say, okay, we have carpentry skills or we can just help out with cleanup or in whatever way. So they'll show up and when people need help with uh, getting things built or getting things cleaned up, they help these people who can't help themselves. So a couple years ago when the tornadoes came through Murray, if you remember that, these uh, folks showed up and they started cutting down trees and cleaning up yards for people and taking care of them. They built wheelchair ramps. They do all kinds of stuff for individuals and organizations to help them out. If you love that kind of work, you should definitely talk to them. Um, Homeless Coalition is here. Homeless Coalition is uh, newer in our community. They're doing some uh, extraordinary work at raising awareness around the people who are caught without homes and in this transitional season and they need a place to stay. They're able, they've been able to raise a lot of money for this cause. They've done phenomenal work with that. And they're also helping to step in, provide solutions, and to provide some life skills. So that's another organization you might want to talk to because they've got a lot of opportunities for you. Moses Basket is a new organization in our community. I'm really excited they're here. I think you're going to love having them in Callaway County. So what Moses Basket does is they serve foster children and foster families. So if you, a lot of you foster, if you don't, what will typically happen with a foster family is they'll get a phone call and they'll say, hey, we've got this child or these two kids or these three kids or however many it is. Can you take them? And if they say yes, then they're there, like there. You know, that night, everything changes for, that, for those kids and for the foster family. So Moses Basket steps in and says, okay, when that quick change happens, you need some things. You need some resources. You need some supplies. And so they provide the basic necessities that will make that transition easier on the child or the children and also easier on the family. We're so glad they're here in Callaway County. Some of you are passionate about fostering. You should talk to them. Needline is here. You know, we have uh, partnered with Needline for a lot of years. Absolutely love what they do. They serve 1,200, 1,300 families every single month. 
providing food and hygiene products and other basic necessities. And they have a lot of opportunities. They make such an impact in our community. So for some of you, you're passionate about that. That's a great place. And then finally, Sleep in Heavenly Peace is here. We uh, spotlighted Sleep in Heavenly Peace last year. So what they do is they identify children in our community who don't have a bed to sleep in. You may not be aware, but there are a lot of kids in our community who have no place to sleep in their home. And so Sleep in Heavenly Peace organizes, brings in volunteers, builds uh, sets of bunk beds, and then they go and they deliver these bunk beds along with a full bedding package, everything they need. They go set it up in the kids' room and give the kids a bed so that no child sleeps on the floor in our community. Some of you would love to be a part of that, and you should definitely talk to them. So those are some of the organizations up there. They are doing extraordinary work. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go talk to them. Number one, tell them thank you for everything they're doing. This community is so much better because of them. They are some of the unsung heroes of our community. So take a minute to thank them and then ask them, find the one you're passionate about and say, how can I help? That's all you have to do. How can I help? And find a place to serve for an hour, okay? So I'm going to dismiss you early. You're going to have 15, well, 10 minutes. You're going to have 10 minutes, okay? I'm giving you, you're welcome. I'm giving you 10 minutes off, all right? So here's why I'm dismissing you early, though, because when you leave, I don't want you just to walk out the door. If you walk out the door, you got to pay a $100 fine. I'm just kidding. I want you to have time to go interact with them. If you have kids, don't go straight down here to grab your kid because we have the hallways locked. You can't get them for 10 minutes anyway, all right? So you got nothing better to do for the next 10 minutes than start interacting with some of these nonprofits and tell them thank you because we don't want to be ordinary in the way that we love. We want to be extraordinary. We want to do good and to be rich in good deeds as only followers of Jesus can. So, let's continue, starting right now, to show people that our God is for them by how well we serve them, even if they can't serve or do good for us in return. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.